0: Welcome to Inspire Churches Podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at InspireChurches.com. Wow. All right, good morning, everyone. Uh, Man, I'm not sure if I can live up to that one. So good to be with all you guys. Um... So before I begin, I always like to begin with a little context. Here's a picture of my family. Um, is it up there? Yeah, my family, just because, you know, everyone comes with a, with a context, with a story, uh, relationships. And so um, the guy who just looks like he just finished coming from the rice paddies, that's me. But uh, next to me, is uh, I know it's not the best photo, is my beautiful wife, Yien, my three boys, Caleb, Evan, and Dylan. Uh, my middle son starting at Logan this year in uh, just a week and a half. So two, hi- two high schoolers. Uh, One middle schooler, three boys, I just say it's all wrestling all the time. So I do send greetings to you guys from Livingstones, And, um, you know, actually, maybe one day uh, Phil can come share with us too. Um, But yeah, like Phil said, the last time um, I saw you guys was at the the, the prayer protest. And um, it was uh, an honor to be able to stand with you guys. And uh, work's not done, right? Work's not done. But um, I'm glad to be here with you guys today. So um, I'm not sure if you guys remember uh, reading about this, but a few years ago, here actually in Union City, um, right by the Holly Center, uh, do you guys know where Seafood City is? You know, Popeyes, all right? Um, right in the middle of that intersection, the ground collapsed into a giant sinkhole, okay? now I'm just kidding. This is actually in like Venezuela or something, all right? it's not Union City, okay? But basically, if you look at the next one, okay, it be- began uh, something like this, okay? And then it collapsed into this next one. I, and I, I took this picture with my, with, with my cell phone, and then um, finally into this. Okay. And then uh, I think the last one's an aerial view. All right. Guys, this is in Union City. <laughs> this sinkhole appeared here in Union City. Okay, now, before this happened, I didn't really know much about uh, sinkholes. Okay, because for me, whenever I thought th- I, I looked at sinkholes, I thought sinkholes are, are something that showed up somewhere else. Okay, giant holes in the ground that like, you know, took you to the center of the earth. That's like Florida, Venezuela, China, right? But not here, not here in the Bay. Okay, so I had to look it up. I Googled that, right? And I'm like, what are sinkholes and, and how do they form? And basically what happens in like normal, we'll call it like healthy ground, like normal ground, where you've got this surface layer. Okay, you're standing on surface layer right now. Okay, clay, soil, asphalt, whatever. Okay, and underneath the surface layer is solid rock. Okay, that's that's normal, healthy ground. Surface layer underneath solid bedrock. Okay, but sinkholes form basically when you've got this surface layer up top, but unbeknownst to us, okay, because we can only see the surface layer, unbeknownst to us, under uh, the, the the underlying bedrock is actually eroding. And usually what happens is, you know, all water has a little bit of acid, okay? And the acid in the water begins to slowly but surely eat away at the bedrock. And it's sort of crazy to think about bedrock eroding. I don't know if you've ever, like, you know, like looked at limestone or something. like That stuff is pretty hard, okay? But over time, the slightly acidic bedrock, I mean, slightly acidic water eats away at the bedrock until there's nothing left underneath except for an empty hole. So above the surface, right, which is like walking, driving, going to Seafood City, getting a sandwich at Popeyes, right? Everything looks fine. Meanwhile, underneath, there's nothing but a hollow hole. Until something comes along and stresses that surface layer. Right, a truck, heavy rain, Too many people going to Popeye's, right? And then, kadoosh The surface layer collapses, and the hollow hole underneath creates a sinkhole. And so what we once thought was solid ground wasn't actually solid at all. Because there was nothing underneath to support it. It was just an empty, hollow hole. So guys, today I want to talk to you guys about something that is precious to God, but I think if we we actually slow down, we would realize it's actually precious to us too. I want to talk to you guys today about the core of who we are and God's desire to make it strong and whole so we can be a source of strength and love to others and his kingdom. Today I would like to talk to you guys about cultivating a deep life of the soul. Right? cultivating a deep life of the soul so our guiding scripture today is going to come from Matthew chapter uh, 16 verse 26 and I'm going to ask if we can just stand with me this morning and for those of you guys who are at home um, maybe if, uh, if you're in bed you can stand on your bed uh, if you're on your sofa stand up Let's uh, stand as we listen to God's word but as we do actually even though we're standing I want to ask you if you can actually um, close your eyes and I want to ask you to just bring back to your mind that image of the sinkhole Okay, bring back to your mind the image of the sinkhole and listen to the word of the Lord. Matthew sixteen twenty six. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Let me read that one more time. With that image of the sinkhole in our minds. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Lord, speak to us this morning. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. So, I got a question for you guys this morning. Is your life in danger of becoming a sinkhole? Right? Is your life in danger of becoming a sinkhole? So uh, you know, um I love I love living here in the Bay Area. Like Phil says, I'm I'm born and raised here in the Bay, Dubs fan, right? So Every time people say, I'm done with the bay, I'm out of here, right? Part of me is like, a little hurt, right? This is my home, right? This is my home turf, right? So you're done, you're done with my home, okay? So I feel a little hurt, I'll I'll, I'll admit it. But there's another part of me that's sort of like, Godspeed, God bless, like don't let the door hit you on the way out because that's more tacos, more pancit, more shalom bao for me, okay? So God bless you, okay? Right, so I love the bay, all right? I love the bay and I believe Jesus does too. However, however, just because I love the bay, doesn't mean that I'm blind to the reality, the culture of here in the Bay. Right? Just because I love the Bay doesn't mean I'm blind to the culture here in the Bay. Because here in the Bay, there is a definitive success and consumer-oriented culture that shapes how we live, right? There is a definitive success and oriented culture that shapes how we live. And you know, i would be, be real though, in a sense, there's actually something cool about it, right? There's something cool about the kind of life we're all striving for. The kind of life that we're, we're promoting to the rest of the world, okay? So I mean, that's, I have to admit, there's a part of me that, that really loves that and I'm proud of that. But what if the very life the Bay, bay promotes, the lifestyle that the Bay is known for, is the very sort of life that makes us ripe for sinkholes? So I want, you, I want to ask you, like, think about it. Think about the images of success and of the good life that we have here in the Bay. Like, the kind of job you're supposed to have. The kind of stuff you're supposed to be able to buy. The kind of experiences that you're supposed to be able to put on the gram. All right, How many of us are on the chase to pursue that kind of life? And we chase and we chase and we chase. We keep trying to achieve. We push our kids to achieve. Because it's not enough that we keep up with the Joneses. We better make sure our kids keep up with the kids of the Joneses. And even if we're not there, how many of us, even if we can't afford it, are digging deep? into debt, credit cards, to keep up with that kind of life. What if the kind of life that the Bay promotes is the very sort of life that makes us ripe for sinkholes? You know, uh, a few years ago, there was a guy who visited our church, and um, he tells me that he was uh, one of the early employees of this company. I'm not sure if you guys have heard of it. It's called YouTube. You might have heard of it, right? He was one of the first employees of YouTube. So you can imagine how fat his wallet was. Right? You can imagine how heavy, how heavy his pants were, okay? And so he comes to but he pulls me aside. He says, Pastor, can I talk to you? And he talks to me because he says, you know, people look at him and they think that he's this beacon of success. He went to a great school, got in early at a great company. But he says, I have to be honest with you. Inside I feel empty. I've never met this guy before. (laughs) First time, but he says, I feel empty. Right? And even though he's still chasing, he's like trying to do more things here, do more things there, he's like, I keep chasing and chasing, chasing, to be honest. I don't know what I'm chasing anymore. And so even though everyone else comes and they want a piece of him and his wisdom, he feels like there's nothing, nothing that he can give. Because on the outside he looks like success. But inside, he feels hollow. Now, maybe some of you guys have achieved his level of success. Right? Praise God. Most of us probably haven't. Okay, I know I haven't. Okay, but maybe even if you're not like you know early employee at YouTube successful, you probably achieved some level of comfort. Right? Some level of like, ah, things are okay. Could things be better? Absolutely. Right? But things are okay. Right? And praise God for that. But beneath that success, beneath the image that we present on social media, beneath the image that we present here on Sunday mornings with God in church, is there more than meets the eye? Or is there less? Is there little more than a hollow hole eroded not just by a few bad days or even a few bad months, but years and years of inattention and neglect? Beneath the surface of what looks like success, and happiness. How many of us are actually ripe for collapse? What good will it be to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? And you know the tragedy of this? The tragedy is that this inattention to the deep things of the soul, it doesn't just affect non-Christians. It doesn't just affect casual Christians, Sunday Christians, Christmas whatever like negative, flippant label that you want to put on those guys people aren't as holy as we are, it doesn't just affect those people, it affects also serious Christians, Christian leaders. A few years ago, a pastor, a, a friend of mine, out of nowhere shocked all of us by suddenly leaving his wife and stepping down from ministry. And unfortunately, we've, we've lost contact, and it's not totally clear to me if he's still following Jesus, I hope he is. But after his divorce, he calls up his denominational leader and mentor, and he let him know that he was stepping down and why. And one of the first things he does when he calls a guy, he says, and we'll just call the mentor Bruce. His name's not Bruce, but uh, he says, Bruce, I just want to say I'm sorry. And Bruce says, Why are you saying I'm sorry? You know, you don't need to apologize. He says, I just want to say I'm sorry because I, ha- I have to say I'm sorry because you know, all those years when you kept asking me, How are things? How are things with God? How are things with your wife? How are things at home? And, you know, every time you ask me, I always say things were fine. In fact, I think a few times I think things were great. But you know I was lying. I was lying. I was lying to you. I was lying to my church. And I now realize I was even lying to myself. Right? This promising Christian leader had the rule pulled out beneath him by his own blindness, by his own lies. What good will it be to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? Now, I don't tell the story so we can cast stones at this, at this guy, right? Because while, well, yes, the Bible says God hates divorce, right, so I've been with my wife for 25 years now, right? I know marriage is just complicated, right? Marriage, and Some of you guys have been with you, you know, together even longer, right? And so you know what I did right after I heard about the news of my friend? I drive, I drove home, ran to my wife, and I held her, I was like, Are we okay? Right? Are we okay? Okay? Now she's like, Why are you being so weird? Because <laughs> she was cooking dinner, okay? And I said, You know, I, I are we okay? She's like, We are fine. But if you don't mind, I'm about to burn the chicken, okay? Okay? But I, but I ran home. I ran home because seeing my friend's life become a sinkhole, it actually didn't make me want to be judgmental, it made me tremble. It made me tremble. Is your life at risk of becoming a sinkhole? Or what good will it be to gain the whole world? To get the toys you want, the respect you want, the success you want, the church you want, and yet forfeit your very soul. Forfeit the things that matter most. Forfeit the things that are most precious to God. And You know what the crazy thing is? The crazy thing is, I, I think we kind of know that we should be paying attention to the deeper issues. Right? I think we kind of know. Right? But even when we finally slow down, right, we, we, we take a break from the rat race, what do we find ourselves doing instead? Especially after a year of uh, you know, being told to stay at home, but this is what we, we see ourselves doing instead. Go to the next slide. Or look at the next one. Oh, not, uh, oh, maybe we lost it. Maybe we'll keep on that one then. So this is a photo project by, uh, called Removed. And the photographer, his name's Eric, uh, uh, Pickersgill, he took photos of just what life looks like at home, but with the phone removed, but also saying what it looks like, how removed we are right from our lives because of our phones. And you know, it's funny, because in our country, we're totally divided over masks. Right? We're totally divided over masks. Right? But you know, I want to say, I want to call BS on this thing. I want to call it BS, because if there's one thing that unites all of us as Americans, is that we love to cover our faces. We love to cover our faces with our phones. Right? We love to cover our faces with our phones. And so even when we finally slow down, we pull, we pull back from the race, what do we find ourselves doing instead? We distract ourselves. We distract ourselves. Yeah. What are we giving our attention to? Or what are we neglecting? What good will it be to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? And so the question is, how do we cultivate a genuine life for the soul? Right? A, a deep life for the soul? Because here's the thing. As long as we only tend to the surface level things in our lives, we will always be at risk of collapse. Yeah. Right? All it takes is a stressor. All it takes is a transition point, a crisis, a failure, an unguarded moment, maybe a pandemic, right? And then, kadosh. The voice, the void in your soul will be exposed. It was always there, but it'll be exposed. And guys, just going to church, it's important. We need that, but it's not enough, right? It's the bare minimum. How do we cultivate a genuine life for the soul? How do we tend to the and strengthen the bedrock layer? of our lives. Um, you guys have probably heard this quote from Bruce Lee. Don't pray for an easy life. Pray for the strength to endure a difficult one. Okay, this is from Bruce Lee, not the Bible. Okay? Don't get it mixed up. Okay, But how do we find the answer to that prayer? Well, how do we get the strength to endure a difficult life? How do we cultivate a life that grows under pressure instead of just collapses? Well, Jesus tells us in John 15, and we're, I'm going to switch metaphors on you here, but... Stay with me, right? Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, whenever I read this verse, um, I usually think of people like Daniel, the prophet Daniel, and Jesus, okay? Now, when you think of Daniel, what do you think of? Lion's den, right? But I think oftentimes we forget that Daniel was actually this bright, and competent young Jewish exile, right? He was conscripted to serve the empire of Babylon. Not unlike a lot of you guys, right? You don't have to raise your hand, but I know a lot of you guys are bright and competent. And so Daniel had a lot of pressure to perform, a lot of pressure to succeed and to keep up with his Babylonian peers. But what was his number one priority three times a day? To withdraw to his room, to reconnect with the vine, to be with God, to pray. That's how he ended up in the lion's den, right? In the first place, because he valued his soul more than he just valued success. Jesus, same way. Crowds could not get enough of Jesus, right? His miracles, the food. He had thousands of followers, right? In IRL, in real life, okay? Thousands of people literally following him around. And yet, what was his number one priority? Luke tells us Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. Even after doing the most amazing work with his disciples, he tells his disciples, Hey, that's enough work for today. Let's get out of here so we have some time alone to rest and to pray. In fact, Jesus withdrew so often to pray that you know, when the soldiers asked Judas, Hey, where do we find Jesus? Judas like, oh, that's obvious. Jesus' usual prayer spot, the Mount of Olives. See, here in the Bay, I think we have it all upside down. We have it all upside down. right? We think that we need to do many things first, be successful first, have our fun and fill first, have our me time first, and then if we have time, and then if we have leftover attention and energy, if we have nothing else better to watch on Netflix, then we will be with God. Then we will pray. Then we will pay attention to our souls. But see, that, that's like saying, hey, let me, let me pave and make sure the surface layer, layer is perfect first. Then if I have time, I'll make sure there's, if I have any energy left, then I'll, then, then I'll t- tend to the eroding bedrock beneath. Right, here in the bay, we got it all upside down. Right? But Jesus says, if you remain in me and I in you, then you will bear much fruit. Right? Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so what does it mean to remain in Jesus? What does it mean to abide in Jesus? Well, I find that a lot of times, connecting with Jesus, plugging into Jesus, oftentimes requires us to disconnect, unplug from other things. Okay? So what does it mean to plug in, to remain in Jesus? Well, there's three things I want to touch on today briefly. And I just want to ask you to maybe consider if there's one of these things that feels most pressing to you. Okay? So the first thing that... Uh, remaining in Jesus requires, it means letting go of activity in order to rest in God. Letting go of activity in order to rest in God or what we call Sabbath. All right, Sabbath. Okay, Sabbath comes from the word, the Hebrew word Shabbat. Can you guys say Shabbat? Right, which literally means to cease. Right, to cease. You know, when your parents got annoyed at you, they're like, Shabbat, right? Cease, okay, cease. And the original, so now the original idea is that even the creator of the universe He worked and worked and worked and worked. But on the seventh day, what did he do? He Shabbat. He ceased from work in order to rest. Later on, after God liberated uh, uh, his people from slavery, Shabbat reminded Israel, you're no longer slaves. You're free. You're no longer slaves to striving, to work, to activity. You are now free. And that continues to be important for us today. Right now, God no longer requires us to observe Shabbat the way that the Jews did. Right? Jesus, Jesus was perfectly content to have his disciples roll a little, you know, off the heads of the grain to eat, to heal people on the Sabbath, to tell people to pick up their mats on the Sabbath. So we don't need to observe the Sabbath in the same way that the Jews did. But the principle of the Sabbath is still important. Right? Because Sabbath frees us from slavery. Frees us and makes room for our soul. And so the question I have for us this morning is, what are you a slave to? Are you a slave to your work? Are you a slave to your phone? Are you a slave to spending, to going out, to expectations, to certain attitudes, to thoughts? What I love, Walter Brueggemann. One thing he says about the Sabbath. What I love. He says, Sabbath is resistance. Sabbath is resistance. It is resisting the demanding, the all-encompassing, oppressive culture. That tells us we must keep going, keep striving, keep doing more, no matter the cost. And so what would it look like to regularly Shabbat, to cease, to cut yourself off from those things, right? So you can have more room to rest in God. Now, just real quick, resting in God doesn't mean you're just taking a nap and watching Netflix all day, right? That's not resting in God, okay? I like to tell our church, resting in God, right? What, would, what do we think God did on the Sabbath? He was, he was enjoying creation, Right? He was enjoying creating that like wine and cheese, you know, in, 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 the, in, the, in the kids' area, right? And so I, I like to say Sabbath is a day that we rehearse for heaven. Oh, that's good. Right? It, it's, it's not just watching more Netflix and staying in bed all day, it's, it's feasting on worship, feasting on, on, on community, feasting on food, feasting on play, feasting on the things that restore our soul. Right? What, what would it look like to plan that into our regular lives? not just waiting until we burn out. Not just waiting until things fall apart, until things collapse and we go, I'm on a Sabbath. No, you're not on a Sabbath. You need to recover so you can have a Sabbath. Right? What would it look like to have a, start a regular rhythm of letting go of activity in order to rest in God? Second, we need to let go of people in order to be alone with God. Or what we call solitude. We need to let go of people in order to be alone with God. You know, most of us aren't good at solitude, right, Most of us are not good, and I think this pandemic has revealed that for a lot of us, okay? For the, you, you guys, ex, any ex, extroverts here, right? Uh, you, you know, extrovert, you always wanna be around people, right? Even know, my wife, she's an expert, she, extrovert. The moment she comes home, turns on the TV and leaves the room, I was like, what are you doing? So I just wanted some noise. Now, for, if you're an introvert like me, okay, even, though, even if you're not around people, right? Like, what, you know what I do? I, I surround myself still with people online right facebook media podcasts or my favorite thing to surround myself with anxious thoughts right they keep me company all day right most of us are not good at solitude but we need solitude we need solitude in order to develop a soul that's strong instead of brittle we need solitude so we can get away from the dozens and dozens of voices that compete for our attention that we have to contend with every day so we can have space to hear the one voice that really matters. We need solitude so we can pray. We need solitude so we can hear from God. right? And solitude, specifically unrushed, unhurried solitude, is important because at least for me, I find often it takes a while for me to truly listen to God and to soak in what he has to say to me. You know, there's been times where I'm like, God, what? what, Do you really want me to keep doing this? This is so hard. Why do you want me here still? Or other times, like, God, I need your wisdom. Like, A, B, C, I don't know what to do here. I feel like the world's on my back, and I don't know what to do. And whenever I pray those things, generally speaking, I find that the first thing I hear isn't God. It's some generic Sunday school answer. It's it's, it's some voice, you know, from culture. Or some scolding parental voice, right? Oftentimes I find that the first thing I hear isn't God. Or, or, or I'll, I'll find that the voice I hear, it sounds like God, but it's actually my own voice. Brian, yes, you should get that Tesla. Right? <laughs> or maybe I do hear from God, but he gives me just a clue. He gives me a question. But where am I going to get the rest of that, the, the clues? Where am I going to get the answer to those questions? If I'm distracted, if I'm rushed, if I'm not alone with God, if I want to truly hear that inner voice, if I want to truly discover that deeper obedience, I need to be alone with God. Solitude. And so what would a slow, unrushed solitude look like in your life? All right, maybe each morning before you brush your teeth. Maybe on your way to work. Maybe on your lunch break. Before you go to sleep, maybe every Saturday morning, everyone else is sleeping in and you wake up early and you go outside to be with God. What would a rhythm of real, unrushed, undistracted solitude with God look like in your life? So Sabbath, solitude, and lastly, and this might seem at odds with what I just said here, but we need friends. We need friends who spur us to be with God. We need soul advocates We need soul advocates. And what I mean by soul advocates is these aren't just friends that you like hanging out with. We all have those, okay? But these are friends with whom we can truly be ourselves with. These are friends that you can say what's really going on in your life and they're not going to throw stones, right? But they're not just not judgmental, right? We also have a lot of, too many of those friends, right? But they're also the ones that keep pointing us to God, right? They love us with the love of God, but they're always asking us the hard questions, the deeper questions, okay? Um, so, you know, the, the pastor that I mentioned earlier, you know, the tri- one of the, tr- the real tragedies of his story, the, the, the pastor that got a divorce and quit ministry, the real tragedy of the story, I think, is he actually had a soul advocate. Right? He actually had a soul advocate, his mentor, God, in his grace, had already given him a soul advocate. He just didn't avail himself of the very person that God had put in his life. So who is your soul advocate? Or who are your soul advocates? Who are the ones who care about not just the surface layer of your life, but are brave enough to go deep to the bedrock layer with you? Who are the ones who care about your solitude with God? Who ask you the uncomfortable questions? Who are the ones who are there willing to advocate for a deeper, richer, stronger life for the soul? and right, Just a quick shout out. I want to just say thank you, Phil, for being one of my soul advocates. Right, cultivating a deeper life of the soul, not just the surface level, requires Sabbath, solitude, and soul advocates. Now, I don't know which one of these speaks the most to you this morning. But I want to ask you and, and, and plead with you. Start today on one of these. Just start today. I've come to believe that there are few things more counter-cultural, yet more life-giving here in the Bay than cultivating a deep life for the soul. In a world that rewards surface-level activity, surface-level accomplishment, surface-level happiness, let's do the greater work. Let's not be satisfied with superficial strength. Let's dive in deep with the God who loves us, like Daniel did, like Jesus did, and cultivate and discover that deep solid life that Christ died and rose again to give us. Um, my closing prayer today, rather than using my own words, I want to close with a prayer that this pastor, his name is Ted Loder wrote. Okay? And it's a little longer prayer, but I'm gonna ask you if maybe you can close your eyes. And as you receive this prayer, maybe see if there are places where you find your heart saying an amen. Holy one, There is something I wanted to tell you. But there have been errands to run, bills to pay, arrangements to make, meetings to attend, friends to entertain, washing to do. And I forgot what it is I wanted to say to you. And mostly, I forget what I'm about or why. Oh God, don't forget me. Eternal one, there is something I wanted to tell you but by my races with worrying and watching, with weighing and planning, with rutted slights and pothole grievances, with leaky dreams and leaky plumbing and leaky relationships that I keep trying to plug up. And my attention is preoccupied with loneliness, with doubt, with things I covet. And I forget that it, what it is I wanted to say to you and how to say it honestly, or how to do much of anything. Oh God, don't forget me. Oh Father in heaven, perhaps you've already heard what I wanted to tell you. What I wanted to ask is forgive me. Heal me. Increase my courage please. What I wanted to ask is for peace enough to want and work for more. For joy enough to share. And for awareness that is enough to sense your presence here, now, always. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspired Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspired Churches through Instagram at Inspired Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash inspiredchurches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspiredchurches.com for more information.